Good morning. I think I've uh, accomplished all the tasks I'm supposed to. Well, for those of you that uh, don't know me, my name is uh, Doug Swiderick. My wife's son and I have uh, been around Embassy for about a year now. Uh, we live in the Palatine area, and uh, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to speak to you uh, today from God's Word. So we're continuing on, and I think concluding today, uh, in our uh, mini-series, as Pastor Phil would call it, uh, on the Lord's Supper. And uh, I get to um, focus on what I think is the most exciting portion of that, se of that uh, section, 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 34. So uh, I grew up in the 1970s. Uh, at the time, I was in grammar school. I was uh, a latchkey kid meaning that my mom and dad and grandma all worked. I'd come home from school and let myself uh, in the house and manage the time I had on my hands. Uh, at the time, I, I read a lot of science fiction. Uh, this is really when I developed my love of comics. Uh, if any of you know me, you know I'm kind of a, a comic book geek. You probably know way too much about that. But uh, I also watched a lot of reruns at the time. Favorites, uh, Gilligan's Islands, Hogan's Heroes, the Beverly Hillbillies, I could sing the theme song if you'd like, but I won't because I can't sing. Uh, I was home alone, watching TV, reading, and snacking. Uh, I remember one occasion in particular. Uh, there was a brand new, totally full bag of Doritos. Nacho cheese, of course, because at the time, uh, nothing else had yet been invented, none of those other flavors. Uh, in addition to that unopened uh, bag of Doritos, there was also a fresh container of uh, Dean sour cream and onion dip. Um, and if you're curious, it's the same green and white container uh, then as it is today. So I guess uh, classics uh, never die. Um, so there I was um, <laughs> watching TV shows and enjoying the chip and dip combo probably far too much. And I ate the whole thing. Later that day, my older brother came back from somewhere and was looking for a snack, and all he found was the empty bag, container, and me with my fingers thick with nacho cheese still licking the dip off. Doug, you are so selfish. When my mom and dad came home, I was met with comments of unbelief. How could I possibly be so selfish? Now, that may seem like a small thing, but for whatever reason, that became an endearing, enduring memory between my, uh, bro my brother and I. Recently, in fact, we were at a family gathering, uh, and I finished the last, really, it was just a small portion, uh, from a bottle of Pepsi as my brother serendipitously uh, entered the room. Some things never change, he said, at least with a smile this time. In all seriousness, though, I think this is the same thread that we need to pull on in this text that we'll look at today. Selfishness. I didn't consider the needs, preferences, or concerns of my family. I didn't wait or even think about anyone else. I ate it all for myself. So if you will, turn with me in the text to 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 34. Give you a moment to get there. Beginning verse uh, 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So the big idea from the text is that the Lord's Supper can bring the blessings of restoration, restoring unity through forgiveness to his body, the church. A little bit of background and context to uh, hopefully help us understand this. And uh, as you listen, perhaps uh, follow along more closely. Uh, I have a fair amount of verses that I will uh, reference. Uh, Normally, of course, we try to turn to those. Uh, I probably have too many for you to turn to, so I'll do my best to provide those references, and I'm happy to give them to anyone if they're interested afterwards, but uh, this is more of a listen and enjoy than follow along uh, with the page turning on every uh, passage of Scripture. Importantly, though, the church at Corinth had numerous issues, from misunderstanding the what and when of resurrection, sex scandals, lawsuits, idol worship, proper proper authority, to misunderstanding spiritual gifts. But consistently, the issue of selfishness selfishness in the church there was a central, if not the core issue, repeatedly raised by Paul throughout 1 Corinthians. And really, it's the key to understanding this text properly. Let me illustrate. Other verses in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 10. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree together, to end your divisions, and be united by the same mind and purpose. Chapter 3, verse 3, for you, all, for you are still influenced by the flesh, for since there is still jealousy and dissension among you, are you not influenced by the flesh and behaving like unregenerate people? And most tellingly, I think, in this own chapter from where this text comes from, chapter 11, verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So trying to break down the text into some key sections, verse 27, the problem explained. Verse 27 then, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Hmm. What were they doing that was an unworthy manner? Well, again, just by reflecting uh, in, in some verses from chapter 11, I think we begin to understand. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Verse 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Seems like self selfishness, like me and the Doritos. There's much more to it, though. Beyond the selfishness, is the desecration of God's temple, the place where God dwells among his people. God has always elected to dwell among his people in the garden, in the tabernacle, in the temple. Um, But under the new covenant, God dwells among his people within us. We have the Holy Spirit. As we come together, we represent the body of Christ. Here in chapter 3, verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? (laughs) 
If someone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, which is what you are. So the problem explained. There is a way to participate in the Lord's Supper in such a way as to not honor the Lord, his people, his temple. Moving on, the result clarified, verses 29 to 30. Verse 29 and 30, if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks, excuse me, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Without discerning the body, what body? I think the body of the church, which is the body of Christ. This rendering of verse 29, I think, really clarifies it, helped me. If you eat and drink without paying attention to those who are the Lord's body, your eating and drinking will cause you to be judged guilty. Also in chapter 8, verse 12, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Or, and also, chapter 6, verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. eats and drinks judgment on himself. That which is meant as a blessing to inaugurate and remember the great victory of God through Christ's sacrifice becomes an offense that God will judge. And I think that's really clarified here in this next section. That is why so many are weak and ill. Some died. Maybe if you think of direct, immediate consequences of sin, you think of this story in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira. This is Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear, I think rightfully, came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Well, how should we think about this text? Well, whatever you might think, it's clear from this text and others, at times, God does judge the consequences of sin on his people in a direct, immediate manner. Paul's clarifying that in the section in 1 Corinthians without what these saints had done had clear consequences. So really the result clarified here, there is a way to participate in the Lord's Supper that brings judgment. So finally, moving on, if you remember, my big idea was that there were blessings here somewhere. So I think this section starts to illustrate it, the blessings revealed. Verse 28 and also 31 to 33. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examine himself. Where possible, avoid the sin. Let a person examine himself. King David wrote in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Unfortunately, of course, often we don't examine ourselves, we don't avoid the sin, and we're in a position now of, I didn't avoid it. 
What if I already sinned? Well, God made a way for that, confessing our sins and asking for forgiveness. Um, throughout the Old and New Testament, there's a pattern there that's very clear. Some places in the Old Testament that clarify this for us, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Psalm 32, 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And then perhaps more commonly, many of you are familiar with this verse in the New Testament. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I remember the first time I realized how heavy the burden of my own sin was, but that it could be lifted. It was that recognition of not that I had sin, I knew that, I had understood that for a long time, but finally connecting that there was a way to be free from it. Someone explained to me that Jesus, the only one who never sinned, sacrificed himself for me, for my sin, to make the way for me to be right with God. I can still remember that sense of the weight of all my sin, that burden lifted from me. That first time, and now every time I confess my sin to him. Scripture says it this way, 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Moving on, verse 31 turns a little bit. From, from here we've been examining and we've been looking at what do we do if we sin. But also in this section it talks about another blessing. Maybe you don't think about that right now. Hopefully I can change your mind. But if we judged ourselves truly, verse 31, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. If we are correctly understanding and seeking to understand where we are in our relationship with others and resultantly with God, there is no judgment from God. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Hopefully you're aware God is actively working in the lives of his children to purify us and sanctify us. Hebrews 12 tells us about this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And it's interesting that that text in Hebrews um, shadows, if you will, as much of scripture does the Old Testament. Here in Proverbs 3.11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. 
Moving back to our text in verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So when we meet, instead of judgment, we meet for blessing from, from God and for the good of all. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And also in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So thankfully, the blessings revealed there is a way to participate in the Lord's Supper that brings blessings, namely God's discipline and forgiveness for you and for his body. So practicing the Lord's Supper does bring the blessings of restoration, restoring unity through forgiveness to his body, the local church. You probably noticed that there's one more portion of uh, scripture in that section in the end of verse 34. About the things, about the other things, I will give directions when I come. Um, I don't know that anyone knows. I'm quite certain no one knows what Paul was talking about. But I think there are things that we can draw from this that we might be able to apply to our own lives. First, we can ask the question as a Christian, what does God expect of me in regards to sin? Well, hopefully it's obvious, but I'm afraid it's not always Daily, if not more often, ask yourself about sin and confess it. I think many of us can recite this portion of, of scripture uh, from a variety of uh, religious contexts, but it's the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Did you notice that in the daily section? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's the Lord's encouragement to go daily, at least, to get right with him and deal with our sin. Another question I think that this section asks that Paul might want us to address, how should I approach attendance at worship? Well, first, always with seriousness about sin and reconciliation. I think Matthew 5, 23 clarifies this well for us. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Secondly, how should we approach attendance at worship? Always with sincerity about worship and your true state before God. King David in Psalm 51, Lord, you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And in the Gospel of John, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And third, Doug, Doug, come on. As I read this and I prepared this, we don't live like this any longer, right? Why is this even relevant to us today? Well, God gives us his word, his spirit, his people, for us to know the state of our relationship with him. And frankly, what better way than a very direct, a very obvious manner to check ourselves? How can you say you love God if you can't love your brother? 1 John 4.19 We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I don't know about you, but this is the thing that drops me to my knees most often. Wouldn't following Jesus be easy without people? I'd be such a fantastic follower without others for sure. But I'm not. I'm in lots of relationships, and I fail often, probably most frequently with those closest to me. I ask for forgiveness frequently. I forgive inconsistently, but I think increasingly. I hope increasingly. How about you? As much as I desire it sometimes, I can't go back in history. However, I'd like to think I learned something since I was a kid growing up in the 70s. I've begun to learn that God cares deeply for his people and how we think and act about others, and most importantly, how we think and act about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so in closing, like me, like I did, are you eating all the Doritos and dip for yourself? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just grateful, grateful to come before you. Your word says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loyal love lasts forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. And Lord, each of us in our own way can attest to your goodness, the things you bless us with, the things you reveal to us. And we're just so grateful, Lord. Increasingly help us understand your goodness understand your loyal love, and understand your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.